Jerry? Oh, we're on. Great. Um, for those people that are new, um, my name is Mark Coppersmith, and I'm an associate pastor here, and John is our lead pastor. Uh, we had this pre-service prayer, which is fantastic, by the way. Everything begins with prayer, pre-service prayer. In pre-service prayer, near the end, when they were praying for me, for uh, God's presence in this message, Josh started saying that what the church really needed was a message of hope and peace and joy. And then I looked at my notes. This is not a sermon about joy, hope, or peace. This is actually sort of a corrective message. I know, no joy, nothing but pain. But, but I thought to myself, you know, when I went to the doctor about that stress fracture in the hip, it was not a pleasant experience. And all the testing that was done and the MRIs, the MRI was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. It shouldn't be because it's just a magnetic thing, but they put it the hip in a certain position. It has to be held for 20 to 30 minutes. And the pain came in waves. It was like nothing I've ever experienced before. And you got the little button in your hand, you know, and you, you, can, you can jam out. And I said to the guy, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this is terrible. I'm going to press the button. He said, if you press the button, we have to start over again. <laughs> Drop the button and go to your happy place. Right. So what I'm trying to say is that that whole experience was not pleasant. But you don't go to the doctor because things are great. You go to the doctor because you need something fixed. And uh, this is a bit of a message about getting some things fixed, particularly in view of Christmas. Guys, a lot of us love Christmas, but a lot of us fear it because it's family. Uh-oh. And sometimes the worst of family comes out at Christmas time. And our relationships get tested, and they get stressed. So this is a message that's going to help us, I think, end up with far better relationships than what we had before we went down this path. It's, uh, I'm talking today about self-awareness. I just finished a book called The Boss is Dead, which is a leadership. It's all about leadership. And one of the chapters is on self-awareness. So this material kind of comes out of that chapter. If you're interested, you like the message, you can get the book on Amazon. But self-awareness, let's start with the scripture. So search your hearts every day. Uh, right there is a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Search your hearts every day. Don't do it once or twice a year on special occasions. Search your heart every day, brothers and sisters, to make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray, make you unresponsive to the living God. There is a degree of self-reflection that's necessary to have healthy relationships and to grow as a person. What we ignore and keep in... I, I often say this to people. Uh, what, we, what we keep in the dark becomes a resource for that which lives in the dark. What we hide and will not bring into the light becomes something that the enemy can use to dismantle our life. So some degree of self-reflection is, is essential to spiritual and mental and relational and emotional health. So I'm going to tell you my story, just so you know that somebody faced their darkness, uh, maybe before you did, and can tell you that there's light on the other side. 
When I was four years old, my brother was three years old, my sister was just born, my mother started coming into our bedroom, my brother and I met bedroom at night, telling us that we would be better off if she killed herself. So we listened to this regularly, almost every day. I, I remember sneaking out of my bedroom as a child and walking to my parents' door and hiding outside the door to their bedroom and listening to them talk. And my father telling my mother that if she didn't get this together and overcome this depression, that he was going to have to put her into the mental institution. So I began living with the fear of abandonment, of, of losing my mother from the age of four, routinely telling us she would probably kill herself. When I was 12, I came home from school at lunch, and I found her unconscious on the bed surrounded by pills. And I was the one that called the police and called the ambulance and called my father. She was in and out of the psych ward routinely all of our younger years. When she had shock treatments back in the 1950s, she would come home and she didn't know who we are. Were. Her mind was thoroughly scrambled. Uh, finally, she had to have a lobotomy, partial lobotomy of the frontal lobe, to um, uh, desensitize the anxiety center. Thank God it worked. The neurosurgeon was a wonderful Christian man, a friend of the family. Did a brilliant job. And her anxiety was over, but her self-confidence was still basically shot. All this to say that I was deeply affected by this. But to be quite honest with you, I didn't notice until I was 40-some years old. I went through life relying on my intelligence and charisma, and I was able to skirt my issues and not face them for a very long time. But listen, people, they catch up with you. The things you leave in the dark become a resource for that which lives in the dark. And my, my principal symptom was an inability to say no to people. Absolute I was a pastor. I, I quit my job as a lawyer. I was... I was uh, leading a growing church. And you know what a growing church is like? It's just a bucket of needs. And you just say yes to ev absolutely everything. You say yes to every request until when the phone rings, you're afraid. And when the phone rings, your stomach goes into a knot and you begin to fear because it's one more person that wants a piece of you. And you keep giving pieces away until there's nothing left. I was... Coming out of my, it was, it was an apartment I was living in. I was walking down the hallway and the phone rang. And my stomach went like this. And I had this flood of fear like, oh God, not, not one more request. Not one more painful situation. Not one more something. And as I was walking towards the phone to answer it, it was the strangest thing. It never happened before. My body just stopped. My body just stopped like this. And this thought or voice, I'm not sure, from over here said this, you know, Mark, your yes has no meaning if you can't say no. One sentence. And I realized I cannot say no. I'm incapable of saying no. This is sick. This is not good. I've got to do something about this. And that started a process of looking inside and beginning to say, Lord, where did this start? How did this happen? Where did I, how did I get to be who I am right now? Guess what? 
The process was difficult, and I had to face a bunch of things, but at the end, my no had meaning, and I was set free of not being able to say no. And I started to understand where my fears were coming from and why certain reactions happened. Self-awareness is many things, but at the center, it is the knowledge of how my history, my genetics, have made me the person I am today. It's the knowledge, listen, it's the knowledge of my strengths. We all do these tests to discover our strengths, but you know it's just as valuable to discover your weaknesses. It's the knowledge of my strengths and my weaknesses, my passions, my temperament, my dreams, my disappointments, my as yet unhealed brokenness. It's also the understanding of my sin and the areas of my temptation. Isn't that a good thing? To know this about ourselves? Yeah. You can't fix what you don't bring into the light. You, he can't. He, he, he will, he's not going to... He's, the Lord is, is weird. He, well, he's a bit odd. I mean, let's be honest. He, he's, he's, he's a bit strange. In other words, he makes you for a great purpose. He designs you with strengths and weaknesses, by the way. Many of your weaknesses that you've been trying to fix... He's comfortable with. Because your weakness is the path you walk on to get to Him. More often than not, it's our weaknesses that draw us to Him, not our strengths. So He designs us with weaknesses on purpose because it might be the only way He can get our attention to help us. But here's the weird thing. When we finally recognize our weaknesses, He doesn't barge in and say, okay, my job starts now, you just relax. He works with us. He works through us on our own weaknesses. And he doesn't force us. He invites us to a process, but he doesn't force himself on us. He's gentle. He doesn't bully his way into the darkness of our lives. He waits for us to bring what's in the darkness into the light, and then we work on it together. So we're all subject to this nasty little phrase, blind spots. Like it or not, people, we are people of blind spots. We have these things about ourselves which we're afraid or unwilling to look at, and so we ignore them. The, the law has a, I was a lawyer. The law has a phrase, willful blindness. It's a very severe negligence. It goes beyond negligence. It's like, you should have known. You should have seen these things, but you chose not to look in this area, and it's because of that that somebody got hurt, so therefore you're responsible. Okay? Willful blindness, it's a, it's a fair concept. We do that with our blind spots. Where we have hints and suggestions, we ignore them. And this leads to living in ways that does not make us happy. And it doesn't make those around us happy, and it sabotages our relationships, and ultimately it even sabotages our relationship with God. It doesn't remove it but it makes it much less than it could be. Making sense? So I, I want to try to get your motivation for why we do this. You know, if you're really into self-hate, you can, you can enjoy this whole process. But, but if you're into freedom... No, I'm being, I'm, it sounds facetious, but I'm really being serious. There's people, that who's, there's people whose problem is their pride. There's people whose problem is their self-loathing. If you're really into self-loathing, you're going to love this message. But you shouldn't. But you should consider it medicine. 
Because when you're free, you're really free. And it changes the quality of your life and your family's life. You become relaxed with yourself. You can give grace to yourself just as much as you give grace to other people. Isn't that a great concept? Able to actually give grace to yourself? I mean, guys, there's nothing like it. It sets you free. It really sets you free. We all know this, but we're unwilling to take the long look inside. We're, willing, we're not willing most of the time to, to, be, to, to examine ourselves and our life. Our reluctance to examine our lives soberly leads to what we call blind spots. These are the negative attitudes and actions in our own hearts, in our own life that we choose to ignore. Willful blindness. And here's... For many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, here's the reason why we don't want to look at it. Beneath willful blindness lies self-deception. Self-deception is our default position. We will deceive ourselves into what is pleasant. We will deceive ourselves into what is easy. We will often take the easy way out of everything. And we'll do it automatically. Because blind spots serve us. Because at the core of the issue, beneath self-deception is one thing, and it's pride. Pride absolutely resists any effort to look inside honestly about what's really going on. Our pride is unwilling to entertain a discussion of our weakness, because pride will have to pay for the cost of change. I love that. It's in the book. I was so proud of that sentence. I walk around the house saying it. Because I love the sound of it. Let's do it again. Our pride is... No, I I liked it. Shut up, Phil. I'm doing this, you're not. Phil gave me a review of the book. He said, I want somebody in the military to review my book because it's a whole chain of command thing and that's not the kind of leadership I'm trying for. So Phil tells the story of how great he was as a sergeant or whatever he was and how everyone feared him and respected him all at the same time. And and I'm thinking, boy, that's not what I expected in in the review. It's kind of self-serving, Phil, thanks. none None of what I told you is true. That was all made up to try to humiliate my friend. Okay. Blind spots serve us because at the core of the issue, beneath self-deception is pride. Our pride is unwilling to entertain a discussion of our weakness because our pride will have to pay for the cost of change. Therefore, it is human nature not to want to examine our weaknesses. Let's cop to it. Let's just, no, I don't want to examine my, I, my name is Mark and I don't want to examine my weaknesses. Hi, Mark. W-A, Weaknesses Anonymous. <laughs> and so we welcome blind spots unconsciously. Okay, here's a neat study. Have I overstated our reluctance to engage in self-awareness? No. Listen to this. I couldn't believe this. Psychologists at the University of Virginia and Harvard conducted a study in which students who signed up for the study, had to sit alone for 15 minutes. Piece of cake. But no cell phone, no laptop, no social media, no distractions. You just have to be with yourself for 15 minutes. For several months, every day, 15 minutes. 
the students were given an option to sitting and thinking. If they preferred, they could avoid this time by giving themselves a very unpleasant electric shock. And they, seriously, and they demonstrated the shock before, at the start of the study, they said, okay, here's the shock you're going to get if you choose the shock. (coughs) You know, some guy gets electrocuted in front of them. Every one of them said, I would pay money to avoid the shock. Are you with me? Then the study began. All the students saw the demonstration. What percentage of the men took the shock rather than sitting for 15 minutes? 66. What percentage of the women chose the shock? Who's 25? 25 said, so men, we have a problem. So when your wife tells you there's something wrong with you, just go shock yourself. You don't have to listen to her. (laughs) It's okay, honey, I got this. (laughs) I'm glad you're laughing. You know, humor helps to, uh, helps the medicine go down. I think that's Julie Andrews or something. Helps the medicine go down. Two-thirds of the men, men, 66% of us will not look at ourselves. It's not good. Clearly, human nature recoils from self-awareness, but the Bible counsels us to examine our hearts, our motives, our attitudes, and our actions. For the grace, for by the grace given to me this morning, thank you, Jesus, I'm delivering the bad news By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In other words, be mindful and be realistic about who I really am, and don't run away from asking these sorts of questions. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, he wants us to be honest about who we really are. There's no room for blind spots. Search me, O God. And know my heart. And know my anxious thoughts. Here, God is saying, invite me into the process of self-revelation. You don't have to do this alone. You do this alone. You know, when you do this alone without God, you reach one of two possibilities. You either think more highly of yourself than you ought, or you think more lowly of yourself than you ought, but you're not hitting the real view of who you really are. Without God in the process, you'll either defer to pride or you'll defer to to shame and self-hate. Right? You're not going to get it right on your own. Nobody has that degree of self-awareness that they're going to get it right on their own. But when you bring God into the process... And he's reflecting with you. You have two things. You have his great grace and mercy making it possible to look at your dark side because you're looking at it through the lens of how much he actually loves you. And he's only doing it because he loves you. And then on top of that, you have his truth. And his truth comes and leads you into freedom from all of these fears and shames and things that live in the dark and end up controlling us. It's freedom. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He's inviting God into the process of self-awareness. And look, he's not limiting. This is, the way, this is what Christians do, and I think it's really a shame. Most of the time we think when we have, you know, search me, O God, we're looking for sin. 
But he goes, it's not just sin, anxious thoughts. How many of you routinely have anxious thoughts? At this stage of your life right now, anybody coping with chronic anxious thoughts? Me, absolutely. He's inviting you into the process of even the things you fear. Not just your sins. These aren't sins. Anxious thoughts aren't sins. They're anxious thoughts. He's asking God to reveal even his anxious thoughts. And this is cool. It's worth noting that the writer's not asking God to know his thoughts for God's sake. Oh, Lord, you really need to know my anxious thoughts. It'll be good for you. Lord goes, I already know. I cope with them every day. Did you realize I live inside of you? Do you realize all those anxious thoughts I'm feeling at the same time you are? He already knows your deepest thoughts. He's asking God to reveal these things to himself. We can't fix a problem we're not aware of. The first step in every solution is to recognize the problem. Now Jesus promises us, Jesus promises us to help us in the process of self-awareness. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we always interpret this in a very narrow way. We say, well, Jesus is the truth, therefore to know the truth is to know Jesus, and therefore to know Jesus is to be free. But the freedom that he's promising is much more than just the freedom from sin. It also includes freedom from self-deception and the destructive blind spots that thwart our obedience to him. Do you see what I'm saying? It goes well beyond just, it's, it's not, guys, not every issue is a sin issue. Some issues are a brokenness issue. Okay? You must distinguish in your own life between sin and brokenness. Your brokenness is not your sin. Your brokenness is what happened to you. What you do with your brokenness may end up in sin, but most of the time, brokenness is just brokenness. It's to be faced and let His love and His wisdom and His truth heal you. It's a process of healing. It's not a process of punishment. Don't ever associate God showing you the truth about yourself with punishment. It's not. It's medicine. It's the thing that makes it possible for us to become free and truly enjoy our lives with Him. Yeah, well, it's the truth, man, because I know because I'm, I lived it, okay? Test case. I keep telling people, I, when I counsel people, I, they're tired of hearing it, but I say, listen, you don't understand. When this is over, you're going to like yourself much more than before this began. <laughs> One time we were driving down the road about something, and we were talking about some issue, John, and, and I just had a flippant remark like, oh, I don't worry about that. And you said, you're really comfortable in your own skin, aren't you? I said, yeah. That's the, that's the end process of this. Guess what? When you become really comfortable with who you are and you faced your dark side, nobody can manipulate you anymore. They can't. They can't. They just can't manipulate you anymore. Because every trick in the book that they're going to talk about and reveal to you, you go, oh, no, I'm much worse than that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, people have criticized and said, you know, you're this and this and this. And I go, that's nothing. I'm way worse than that. And I live with that revelation every day. And it's only the grace of God that gets me up in the morning. Because he's seen it and he still loves me. The miracle of God is that he's seen me and he still loves me.
It takes my breath away. I've never lost, never lost the wonder of that fact. You set, once you've seen what's there and faced it and brought it to him, nothing can manipulate you anymore. Satan can't. You can laugh at him and say, that's nothing. Wait till I show you what I've seen about me. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, what a bizarre thing. They've been with Jesus for three years. They have looked into the eyes of love. They have looked into his eyes and seen the eyes of God. They have been hugged by him. They have had lunch with him. They have gone camping with him. They've been through all these things. And then he turns around and says, oh, you know, it's really good for you. I'm leaving. And they go, excuse me, but um, we left everything for you. You are our life now. You have the words of eternal life. Stop talking about leaving. And Jesus says, well, you don't seem to understand, do you? When I leave, he will come. He who? The Holy Spirit. Well, what's so good about that? Well, when I'm here with you physically, I'm here with you physically, but when I go away, I go away. How about I take the essence of who I am, and it's a spirit, and it can live in you for the rest of your life, not with you, in you. Not with you, in you. And every time you need me, I'm there. And every time you wonder about something, I'm there. And in fact, no matter what you do, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to live in you. I'm not with you. I'm in you. How's that, disciples? Oh, never thought of that. That's kind of cool in its own way, weird way. Yeah, it is. But when he, the spirit of self-deception the spirit of willful blindness. The spirit of blind spots will come and keep you safe and protected from seeing truth. No. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Listen, when he says all the truth, it includes the truth about your blind spots and your brokenness and your need. It includes everything. He will not speak in his own. He will speak what he hears from the Father and Jesus. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Yeah, there's going to be prophetic things, but guess what else? He tells you all truth. He's the guide that will be with you when you embark on the process of self-awareness. He's the one you can trust. Sure, he's going to tell you about things which are come, but when he uses the term truth, he's not referring just to future events. He's promising that the Spirit will tell you everything that you need to know to live lives that glorify Him. He'll tell you every single thing you need to know in the moment as you're needing it. Everything you need to know to live a life that glorifies Him and that is a life of freedom and joy and peace and rest. And we don't get there till we face the things that trick us out of that are you with me okay all of that was bad but what I'm about to tell you is terrible (laughs) take your hands put them on your chair (sighs) breathe in breathe out prepare for something horrifically bad you're going to know it immediately as soon as I tell it you now here's the hard part most of the time when God reveals our blind spots 
He does it through other people. If you're married, if you have a sibling, if you have a boss, if you have a mouthy neighbor, an annoying coworker, Oh, I missed that. What was that? What was that? Nothing. (laughs) Here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth, and it hurts like crazy, but it's true. Flawed people are the ones that tell us about our flaws. And our pride over and over. How How many of us have ever done this? A flawed person more flawed than you, in your eyes, tells you about one of your flaws. And you do this. They have more blind spots than I do. Why should I listen to them? They're more messed up than me. Why should I listen to them? I had this friend. We played in a band for years. 11 years we played together. He was the leader of the band. Brilliant musician. Great arranger. And, uh, but he had some flaws. And one day in the car, we're driving down the road, and I said, Rob, I, I need to talk to you about some things. And what? He sensed what was, what? I said, well, there's just a couple things going on, you know, in our relationship and the band and stuff that I think we should talk about. Okay. So I start. I get about two sentences in. Well, you know, you got problems too. I said, Yeah. He goes, no, you do. You got as many, you got, you got as many problems as me. He says, he says why, why are we talking to, about me? Why don't we talk about you? And I said, because it's your turn. <laughs> and he, and he kind of looked at me. I said, it's your turn. We'll do you first, then we'll do me. But I brought it up, so it's your turn. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we got through it. We stayed friends. Our pride dismisses the comment by saying they've got more problems than I have. Why do I need to listen to them? But listen, he speaks through people, I think, actually more often than he speaks to us directly. We're called to admonish and correct one another, we're called, but we're called to do it in love. If you, don't do it in, if you can't do it in love, don't do it at all. But... Just because the person bringing the truth does it poorly is not an excuse to reject it. Take what they say to God. Just sit down with God and say, this is what Dennis said about me the other day while we were playing hearts. It really hurt. (laughs) Don't like that. But Lord, what do you want to say to me about what he said? And know that you're going to hear from the Lord who loves you more than anything and his only motivation is to help you so you can, you can take it. You can take it from the Lord, right? Because it's given with perfect love. And finally, when we're being corrected, the part of ourselves that hates it the most is our pride. Your pride is not your friend. Your, fr- your pride is not your friend. Ever. Listen to those who bring you criticism. It just might be God who's speaking truth that you really need to hear to get free. 
I got nothing else to say. But Gary, who always talks too much. Good from here. It's really interesting. Um, in our Connect group, we've been we've been going through the series, The Chosen. Yeah, I, I know you have. You gave me the idea when you said it. I said, "Man, I like that idea." And um, we had that's what this topic was on this this past week. Uh, several several are here, and we had a great discussion about this very thing about how God brings correction into our life. And and the and the, the I love the way they portray Jesus yeah. in, the, in this film. I mean, it's just amazing. And this he was speaking um, to the sons of thunder, to John and James, and they were they were out walking on and and. Uh, the people wanted Jesus to go back into Samaria because he'd done all these beautiful miracles in Samaria. But he knew he had to go to Jerusalem, so he's leading them off to Jerusalem. And so the people in Samaria got all upset. And so then James and John, who he called the sons of thunder, said, Jesus, do you want us to call on heaven to bring down fire on Samaria? And boy, Jesus just... And, and, and what the Bible says, if you look in Luke 9, Jesus rebuked them. That's all it says. And then he moves on. He moves on in the discussion. But in the film, they portrayed exactly what you were sharing, the other scriptures about how Jesus does bring correction to us. And he corrected them. He rebuked them. But then his love and his compassion and his mercy just came out and overflowed on them and helped them to realize that it just, man, they picked up their shoulders. And so it wasn't just a rebuke. It was a way to strengthen and to help them grow. And that's what the Lord wants to do in all of our lives. Amen. Anybody, anybody else got a comment? Anybody else got Yeah. What about proactively seeking counsel from trustworthy That's wonderful. Mark just said, what about proactively seeking counsel from other people? In my book, I deal with... Uh, Leadership. It's a book about the contrast between positional leadership, do it because I say so, I'm the boss, and leadership through influence. And the secular studies are as fascinating as the biblical uh, perspective. What's happening in leadership today is that the biblical perspective and the best of business psychology is coming together and affirming the same principles. And uh, there's stories in the book from, from CEOs of major corporations who... Um, embraced exactly what you're saying. There's one uh, woman worked for Google and uh, she sends out an email to her management people every, every week. Two things I want from you. What am I doing wrong that you want me to stop doing? And what am I doing right that you want me to continue? Every week. When a leader invites constructive criticism in an open door policy it actually creates greater influence in that leader. By, by, by the leader welcoming constructive criticism, they actually gain phenomenal influence with the people that they lead. And that doesn't apply just to business situations. When a parent sits down with a child and says, tell me what's driving you crazy about me. When a husband says, honey, I can see you're frustrated. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. When a wife does that, when, when friends do that with one another, it's painful in the moment, but it always leads to a deeper relationship. 
And you gain, you actually gain influence in people's lives by being open to criticism because they end up trusting you more. It works. It's a biblical principle. It just flat out works. So in, inviting it is the right thing to do. To, I was starting with tolerate it because I know how hard it is. Thank you for bringing that up. Because when we get to the point where we actually invite it, we're getting really healthy. And we're going to learn things we need to learn. And, and some of the, sometimes you'll go back and say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but um, I think that's a, something about me that is designed into me. I'm not sure I can change it. But tell me when you see me doing it and I'll do my best. You don't always have to agree with every criticism a person brings, but you need to take the criticism to God. Sit down with the Lord and say, this is what she said to me. What of that and to what degree do you want to say that to me, Lord? And just be open to what he says. And what do you want me to do about that? Is, there a, is, this, a, is this something I can get restored by, by going and doing something? Or is this just something I need to be careful not to do next time? And Lord, show me when I'm doing it. You be the one. You give me the little thing inside where I realize, oh, yeah, I did it again. And then go fix it as fast as you can. An apology is one of the most powerful things you can do to heal a relationship. Rick? Uh, Oh, always. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. That's a, you know, well, yeah, and I took that as a given and I shouldn't. Um, A lot of what are our blind spots are based on lies. The most important thing you can understand are the lies you're believing about the nature of God and the lies you're believing about the nature of yourself. They determine your responses. So asking the Lord, what lies am I believing about you, Lord, and what lies am I believing about myself is going to set you free. But see, that's part of the introspective process, the, the look inside. And by the way, what I'm arguing for is not introspection, it's self-awareness. Introspection is self-focus. Self-awareness is a God focus about me so that I can become more of who he designed me to be. We need to make that distinction between introspection and self-awareness. They're not the same thing at all. So sozo is a process where you go with a counselor and you begin to let the Holy Spirit show you what lies am I believing about you, Lord, and about myself and about life. And when the Holy Spirit begins to answer and show you things, it sets you free. It sets you free. That's personal experience I'm talking. Yeah. Any other comments or questions? This is very, very fruitful right now. I'd like to uh, suggest that the thing that holds us all back is either fear or pride. And so I would just like us to bring ourselves to the Lord this morning. If you are self-aware enough to say, yeah, I have a fear of being known down to the core of my being because I'll, I'll be rejected or judged. Or I have pride. I do not like being corrected. We just stand on your feet here and let's just come to the Lord together. If either one of those um, are about you, either a measure of fear or a measure of pride, just go ahead and stand. I'm standing for me. I'm the only honest person in the church right now. There we have a couple more honest. <clears throat> if, if you remain seated, that means you're a liar, by the way. 
Well, that works. How's that, for, how's that for getting everybody to stand up? Okay, before, before we go... <laughs> no, any, I have no fear or pride. Before we go any further, since you're all standing, let's take another offering. Yeah, but let me say this. Let me say this. The Bible says many times God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we all need grace. We all have measures of fear and we all have measures of pride. And so we're just bringing ourselves to the Lord this morning and saying, Lord, I don't want to sabotage my relationships. We're supposed to love you and love one another as we love ourselves. And I need help with that. So let's just come to the Lord together. Just be courageous right now and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me right now the areas of my life where I am dealing with fear. just let the Holy Spirit bring these areas up to you. Where am I dealing with fear, Holy Spirit? Okay, now give that to Jesus. The Bible says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Just take those fears right now and give them into the hands of Jesus. now let's ask the tougher question say Lord where am I dealing with pride let the Holy Spirit bring this up where am I dealing with pride okay now what can I do about it and what can I do about it Lord what do you want me to do about that Just ask the Lord one more time so it's clear before we close up today. Lord, show me where I am dealing with pride and tell me what to do about it. And just listen to what he might say to you. You will please the Lord if you humble yourself in that area and do what he says and he will bless you. Amen. All right. So um, you were given some cards to invite people to our Christmas service on the 19th. And so don't let them be on the bottom, the floor of your car or anywhere near your trash can or stuck on your refrigerator. Give them to a neighbor. Give them to a friend. Um, and the next week we'll give you three more. And you give those out as well because everybody needs Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, if you're here for the first time, please uh, fill out that guest card and uh, leave it on your seat and we'll collect that. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front. If you need healing in your body, you need a miracle. If you've never given your life to Jesus before,